The dark room is a place of process and development. A place where moments are captured, details are exposed, and images are revealed. What if everything we're striving for in life can be revealed through a shift in perspective? What if our lack of focus on who Christ is in us corrupts our destiny and impact? What if we could adjust our lens and fix our eyes on the right image? What if we could filter our mind and capture who God really is? What if we could change our position and expose the lies we believe? Who is God? Jesus, the image of God revealed. kick off this brand new series, I'm just going to be honest, I need a little feedback this morning. So if I say something that is true and you want to affirm that or confirm that it's true for you, could you just actually show that confirmation? Can you give me like a smile? Can you give me a head nod? Can you give me maybe an amen? Maybe maybe put your hands together just a little bit. If I say something is true and I don't need any affirmation, I'm not doing this for me. I really want to do it so that you can affirm the truths that are already true about you because of your belief in Jesus, right? So if I say things like, man, do you know that God loves you unconditionally? Man, you can give a little applause, right? If I say things like, man, do you know that God's presence is always with you at all times? You can celebrate that, right? You can give a little feedback to that. If I say, man, do you guys know that you have the most amazing pastor on the planet? You can give me a little feedback and I will accept that. Thank you very much. Well, I am super excited to be able to kick off a brand new series today that we are calling The Dark Room. The dark room. Now, the dark room is lost on a lot of us. And it's lost on us because today we live in the digital age, right? We have our smartphones, and with our smartphones, right, every single one of them has a camera. We're able to take good quality pictures, we're able to share them instantly with friends, with family. We can put them on our social media accounts, right, and share them with the world. We kind of forget where we came from, we kind of forget what had to happen for a photo to come into existence. So just to kind of give you a little history of this and maybe just to refresh your memory or if you're like under 20 this morning, just to show you how it used to be and what we had to deal with, I actually brought a few cameras with me this morning. So man, I have this monstrosity of a camera. Man, can you imagine like carrying around this in your pocket today? Man, let me take your picture. But in a camera like this, this is about 40 or 50 years old, it only had the capability to take one picture at a time. That's it. You would slide the film in, you would take the picture, and then you would actually have to take the entire camera into a dark room because if you opened it to get the film out and light hit the film, what would happen? It would ruin it, right? It would expo- the light would expose and you would just have a bright picture 
with no image, just a picture of a light. And so to capture what, um, what the film had on it, you would have to take this to the dark room, and they would have to go through a process of development to get that one single picture. Well, then about 30 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, someone actually developed film that was in a roll in a cartridge, and this allowed the capability to take like 20, 30 pictures at a time. And then with a camera like this, you would take all 30 pictures, and then I don't know if this one has it in it, but the old school ones, you know, you had to crank it to wind the film back up. It would get in the cartridge. You could pop one back in, and then you would send that cartridge off to a developer who would take it in the process of the dark room to get your images on print. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, remember uh, when you had to take selfies like this, you had no idea how they were going to turn out? So you would just take like 20 or 30 of them and hope that you would get one really good picture. Man, I'm so glad that we don't have to do that anymore. Well, then somebody had the bright idea, and this was like in the 80s. Man, what if we could take the dark room and that process of development, what if we could take that and put it inside of a camera? So that you wouldn't have to send the film off anymore. You could actually take a picture That's, that's about right. And no film comes out. Let me try that one more time. I got Sean in, in the image here. Man, I can't believe that didn't work. You know it did not work last night either. We tested it afterward, and it worked fine. We tested it this morning before I got on stage, and it worked fine. And then here we are. Oh. Still no image. I mean, the camera's 40 years old, people. You know, sometimes it just wears out. But you would take a picture with a Polaroid camera, right? And you would get that piece of film, right? And it would be completely white. And then you would fan it. And you would fan it until the image actually appeared. Now, did, did the image just magically appear? Or was the image already on the film... And just through a process of development and a process of allowing time, the image actually became clear. Right? If we think about it, right, our life with Christ is a lot like that. There are so many things that are true about us. There are so many things that we have access to because of Jesus. But some of us, we're just not aware of it yet. We just don't see it yet. Sometimes God has to take us through a process of development. He has to allow time for, for him to move, for us to awaken, for us to open our eyes to some things that are true about our life. You see, we go through this process of development and looking at who Jesus is, we look at what he accomplished, and then after we know who he is and what he accomplished, we can then begin to look at our life and understand our identity in him. You see, it's already true about us, we just have to walk in it. It's already true about us, we just have to come to an understanding of it. It's already true about us, we just have to go through this developmental process where it is revealed in us. You see, what we're going to do in this series is, uh, as Pastor Corey said, we are going to simply walk through the book or the letter to the church in Colossa that Paul wrote. 
And in this letter, the reason why we chose it is because more than any other letter that Paul wrote, it actually really is central to the message of Jesus, who he is, what he accomplished, and now who we are in him. And I I wanted to really pick out this letter too, because it really brings into an alignment in our spirit, in our thinking, in our minds, uh, really uh, just an understanding of who Jesus really is. It will really reveal the true heart of God. You see, it doesn't get off too far on the fringes. It keeps the message central. I'll explain it like this. Several years ago, I was driving in my truck and I was driving around town. Everything was fine. Well, I get on the interstate and I actually get my truck up to about 60 miles an hour. And when I hit 60 miles an hour, man, my steering wheel just began to violently shake. And so it freaks me out. I get off the exit. I'm thinking, what's going on? I Look, I'm not a mechanic. I don't, I don't have a clue with these things. So I get out. I look up under the truck thinking, man, is something stuck in here? What's going on? I can't believe what's going on. I can't, you know, you know really understand or comprehend. So I get back in my truck. I'm thinking, well, I didn't see anything. Uh, let's try this again. So I get on the on-ramp, get on the expressway. I get up to about 60 miles an hour. And, man, my steering wheel just starts going crazy. So I call up a friend. I tell him what's happening. And he says, it sounds like you need an alignment. It sounds like you need an alignment. Things are just off base a little bit. And Paul, like a master mechanic, right, he, he wants to keep the message of Jesus central. So that's why he writes like to the Galatian church. And he says, look, man, you, you guys are, are doing great, but you keep wanting to add to the message of Jesus. You keep wanting to think that, man, you need to have Jesus plus like ritualistic living, plus like following the laws uh, of Judaism. Like you need to be circumcised. You need to uh, uh, follow the, and observe the feast. You need to follow the 613 laws. And so he writes to them and says, who has bewitched you? In, in other words, he's saying like, man, come back into alignment. It's all about Jesus, right? Or he writes to the Corinthian church and they were, man, acting a fool. They were acting crazy. Man, they were coming in early, getting drunk on the communion wine. Man, they were getting trashed. There was some, some family incest going on. Man, there's just some crazy stuff happening with the believers in that church. And Paul has to write to them and say, look, you're getting off base a little bit. You're getting out of alignment. Come back in to the center. Focus on Jesus. Well, when he writes this letter to the church in Colossa, he doesn't have to worry about things to the far right, things to the far left, because this church is a new church plan. It's a new church plan, and he wants to say, look, man, just keep it simple. Keep it all about Jesus. You know, if we do that, we will be all right. So if you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to open up with me. We're going to just unpack the first 14 verses. As Pastor Corey said, this is an exegetical study. We're just looking at this verse by verse, line upon line, section by section, and we're just going to allow God's word to speak to us. You know, as a pastor and as a preacher, sometimes, you know, we have experiences with God, things that God begins to reveal to us and to show us in our life. And based on our experience, then sometimes we go to Uh, the word of God, and we look up stories, we get certain passages, we get certain scriptures, and then we try to take those and then apply it to what our experience is and then to convey it to you. Well, this time, we're just gonna kind of flip the script on that. We're actually gonna go to the word of God first and allow it to begin to dictate what our experiences actually are. 
And so uh, if you brought your Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up. We're just going to read through this, and then I'm going to go back, and we're just going to unpack this amazing letter. Verse 1, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we just are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that we get to be here to study it, to to hear it, to reveal who you really are and how much you truly do care for us, what you accomplished on our behalf. Father, I pray that it would be your words that are heard today. Father, I pray that you would just go before me, that you would speak, that you would move. And Father, as we begin to apply, as we begin to understand who you are in a greater way, Father, I pray that we would be blessed. Father, that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired to go out and make a difference in our world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, in those 14 verses, there was a lot. Man, there are a lot of truths, a lot of things that that we could focus on, a lot of things that I could teach you. Matter of fact, you know, the very first word, of the first verse of the first chapter starts with Paul. Man, I could preach a whole message on Paul and his life and how he used to be Saul, how he used to persecute believers. He hated early Christians, how he sentenced some of them to prison and even some to death and how he met Jesus on a road. Man, a light shone from heaven. Paul, in this moment, he comes to believe in Jesus and his life radically makes a shift. It radically turns around. And instead of persecuting believers, instead of persecuting Christians, he actually completely does a 180. And now he's the biggest proponent of Christianity. He's a proponent to advance the kingdom of God like no one else around. Man, it's, it's a testimony of a life transformed. Man, it's a testimony of a life change. Is anybody thankful that God came and showed up in your life and now you're completely new? Man, that we are a new creation in Christ. Man, the old has passed away, right? Even though Paul, he had all those things in his background. Man, he had all that thing that could have held him down and caused a lot of condemnation in his life. He didn't let that stop him. He actually wrote things like, man, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ 
Jesus. Man, if he can say that, man, we can say that. Man, it's an incredible, incredible testimony that he shares. But he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, apostle, this word apostolos, it just means somebody who is sent. They're sent into a region to bring about change, to bring about the advancement of, of the kingdom. And this is what Paul is. This is the function that he carries, one of, uh, of an apostle to really go and set doctrine, to really go and really transform and change an entire region. And we know this happened because of Paul's ministry. Churches were planted right all over the world, all over the known world at that time. And he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Man, I can talk to you all day about God's will. And you know, because so many people come and say, man, I just want to understand the purpose for my life. I want to understand what God's will for my life is. Man, maybe that's where I could have stopped, but I have to keep going because there's something, there's some truths here that we really have to get to. He also says, Paul, an apostle uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, along with Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Timothy was Paul's spiritual son in the faith. It's somebody that he passed down knowledge. He passed down information. He passed down really uh, uh, just his own DNA, like this, this thought process, this, this way to view Christianity and Jesus. Man, he passed that down to Timothy. And Timothy actually, in 2 Timothy, in his book, the one that Paul writes to him, he says, man, take what I have given you, teach that to other faithful men so that they can then in turn teach others, right? It's this replication that happens as we share the good news of Jesus. You see, we are only here today in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, because 2,000 years ago, Paul told Timothy, and then Timothy told somebody, they told someone else, and eventually it got around to someone told my dad. And then my dad told me, you see, your story is important. Your story is valuable. The message of Jesus as it's shared through you in your own unique way is valuable. It's how the kingdom is advanced every single day. So continue to share your story. Matter of fact, that's why we opened up the year talking about bestseller. Man, to live a life that's a story worth being told because your story is worth being told because it's the story of what Jesus is doing in and through your life. But he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, along with Timothy, our brother, to the holy people, to the saints. Now, now this is important, and I want to break this down just for a second before we get really to the, to, to the heart of what I feel like this section is about. Man, Paul, Paul says to the saints, to the holy people, to those who are set apart. Do you know not one time in the New Testament, not one time in Paul's epistles, does he actually go around labeling the church as sinners? Man, so many times I get around a bunch of church folk, a bunch of people who claim to believe in Jesus, and they're walking around with their head down saying, well, brother, I'm just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I understand what they're saying, and they want to be humble, and they want to give all the glory to God. But, but at the same time, we need to walk around not with our head down, but with our head up, because our identity is not in that of a sinner. Our identity is in that of a saint. Man, we have this incredible identity. We have this incredible access to become righteous, not based on our works, or as Corey said earlier, man, not based on our behavior, but simply based on our belief. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, right, as we believe in him, he is the one who then shapes our identity and who we are, right? So we're not sinners saved by grace, man. We are simply saints. Man, we're saints in the arms of a loving God. That's who we are. But he goes down and he actually says the two things I really want to focus on this morning 
the two sections, they're kind of broken up in two parts. The first part is that Paul is extremely encouraging to the church. Man, he's extremely thankful. Matter of fact, verse 3, it even said, uh, it, it says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You see, what I have to get you to understand, and again, I'm just laying a foundation today for where we're going over the next eight weeks. But Paul, in this moment, he is in prison. Man, and it's not like, you know, the four seasons. It's not, you know, some just like, you know, super fun like summer camp. Man, we're talking about like, you know, in the depths of a dungeon. We're talking about a dirty and disgusting prison chained to guards 24 hours a day. And he's writing to people, right, and saying to them, he's writing to the church and saying, man, I always thank God for you when I pray for you. Here's somebody, you know, uh, if you know somebody that's going through different uh, difficult times or maybe they maybe are in prison, you know, a lot of times they're the ones, man, can you just continue to pray for me? Can you pray for me? I'm going through this. Can you pray for me? I'm dealing with this. And not that we don't want to go to people and ask for prayer. That's not what I'm saying. But Paul in this moment isn't so much focused on his circumstance and where he is in this moment and his position. He's concerned with what they're going through and he wants to have an attitude and a posture of honor and an attitude and a posture of thanksgiving saying, man, I thank God for you. Man, I'm continually praying for you. And he says, man, I thank God for two reasons. In verse four, he says, I thank God because we have heard of your faith in Christ in Jesus, and the love you have for all God's people. Man, I've heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for people. Your faith in Jesus and your love for people. Man, that should describe our life, right? Man, do we have faith in Jesus, but and... Do you have love for people? You know, I, so many people that I encounter and I run into, you know, they're like, man, I love Jesus. I just don't know if I like the church. Because the church has put off a negative image. The church has been uh, destroying people and putting people down for far too long. And a lot of people just don't want anything to do with that. The people that should be the most forgiving and loving and graceful sometimes have been the most condemning and shameful people around. But we gotta flip that. We gotta change that mindset that people have of the church. It can't just be, man, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Man, it has to be, man, I love Jesus, and man, I love God's people because, man, they are so forgiving. They are so grateful. Man, they are the most loving people around. Does that describe your life? Man, faith in Jesus, love for people. Faith in Jesus, love for people. Matter of fact, if you just continue to live out those two things, I promise you, you will be okay. Faith in Jesus, love for people. But he was constantly encouraging them. He was constantly building them up. Matter of fact, a little bit later, he mentions this dude named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was uh, the pastor of the church there. And you know, Paul never visited this church. He, he was never even in this town, Colossa. Epaphras came to Christ over in Ephesus when Paul was preaching and Paul says, look, I need you to go back to your hometown. I need you to go back and share what you've experienced here with others. I need you to go back and build up the church to lead people to, to Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. And Paul actually is encouraging him in this moment. He says, look, church, Epaphras, he's there. He cares about you. He's a fellow servant. In this, in this whole 
uh, first little section, what he's trying to do is establish through his thanksgiving and through his encouragement, he's trying to establish a culture of honor. You see, do we have a culture of honor in this place? Are you setting up a culture of honor in your lives, in your home, in your workplaces? And what do I mean when I say honor? Well, honor, uh, Bill Johnson says it like this, honor is simply seeing Jesus in other people. So if Jesus was right in front of you, how would you treat Jesus? You know, it's not how, how would I treat Tania, it's no, how would I treat Jesus in Tania? You see, he's trying to create a culture of honor where, where, where each other... Each other, uh, other people are encouraging one another. The entire church together, encouraging one another, loving one another, serving one another, building one another up. Man, it's a culture of honor. But here's the main thing that I want to get to, and we're, and we're going to go through this pretty quick. Because I said, you know, in, in the idea of going through the dark room, in the idea of having film, something that's already there, has to be exposed, has to be revealed. It's true about the believers, some things that they have access to and who they are in Christ, they just don't necessarily believe it yet. So Paul prays a prayer. And in it, he's gonna include seven things. Seven things that are true about them that he really wants them to grasp and to understand, to truly reveal who Jesus is and who he is in them. And so if you're taking notes, I really wanna go through these seven things. Again, we'll go through them quickly, but you need to grasp all of these truths in your life. And as you grasp these truths, I promise, I promise you, you can walk out of here confident, confident in your identity in Christ and what you have because of Jesus. The first thing that Paul prays is this. Number one is that God is teaching you. And that's the first truth we have to understand, that God is teaching you. Verse nine says this, we continually ask God, check this out, to fill you with the what? With the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. You see, the spirit is not withholding anything from you. God is not withholding anything from you. You see, sometimes though, we have to begin to ask for wisdom, right? We ask, we seek, we knock. Then the door will be open. Then he will give. You know, so many people go through uh, stuff in their life and they're constantly coming to me and they're like, pastor, what should I do in this, uh, in this situation? Or, or man, my relationship's falling apart. Do you have any advice for me? And I just wanna tell them, I do have some advice, man, because I know you follow Jesus, because I know that the spirit is in you. The first step, man, can you just ask him for wisdom? Can you just start seeking the spirit? Now, I'm not saying anything is wrong. Matter of fact, sometimes we have to go seek out wise, godly counsel. But man, we can also get wisdom as we pray for wisdom. God's not gonna withhold that. So man, what's the spirit telling you to do? Allow the spirit to begin to speak, right? It's him who leads us and guides us into all truth. Man, he's not gonna withhold it. You can ask for wisdom. The second thing is this, the second promise, this is so encouraging. It says this, God is walking with you. God is simply walking with you. Verse 10 says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That phrase, live a life, most translations say this, so as to walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Man, as we walk with Jesus, he brings us what? Comfort. 
Man, like, like, like a father to a son, man, we, we actually get to be encouraged by our dad's presence. You know, nearly 150 times in Scripture, if you just kind of walk through it, it actually says uh, to fear not or to not be afraid. But that statement is almost always followed up with, don't be afraid. Why? Because he's with you. Just a couple of days ago, um, I actually went, um, went to a funeral with, uh, with my wife, and my kids were in school, but, but Jude's not in school yet, so Jude was with us. And um, we sat in the back, um, and as the funeral uh, was, the, the ceremony was finishing up, you know, they invited everybody, starting with the back row, to come up front and just pay your last respects. Well, well I get up, and I have Jude right next to me, and he kind of gets, like, wide-eyed, like, Dad, wait, wait, what are, we, what are we doing? Where are we going? We're going to go up front? I don't know if I can do this. But in that moment, I, I'll see him, and he's like looking straight at me, and all I do is this. I put out my hand. And what does he do? He grabs it, and then he just walks with me. He's not afraid of anything. He's not scared of anything because he knows I'm with him. He knows Dad is going before him. He knows Dad is walking with him. And because of that, man, it instilled a confidence in him to do anything. You see, that, that, that's something that should be true about us. Man, that we recognize that God is walking with us, that his presence never leaves us. His presence would never forsake us. Man, he won't leave us alone, man. We have the God of the universe, our heavenly father, walking with us at all times. Man, that's encouraging. The third thing that Paul brings up in his prayer is this. Man, that God is growing you. You're taking notes number three. God is growing you. He says this, and later in verse 10, he says, man, and bearing fruit in every good work. Bear fruit in every good work. You know, if something is planted, right before it bears fruit, what has to happen? It has to grow. It has to mature. You know, sometimes we, we are in this process called life, and maybe we don't see the fruit yet, but maybe we can change our perspective to say, you know what, I might not be where I ultimately want to be, but man, thank God I'm not where I used to be. Man, that God is continually growing me. He's taking me through a process, right? The dark room, it's a process of what? Development. And sometimes we go through dark times but God can use those dark times to develop character in our life, to develop patience in our life, endurance in our life. Man, God takes everything that we go through and he uses it for good. He's growing you. Number four is this, God is empowering you. This is just this prayer, guys. Remember, all we're doing in this series is, man, we're just allowing God's word to speak. We're just going through verse by verse, section by section, man. We're allowing God to just speak truth over our life. You gotta begin to believe it. Number four, God is empowering you. He's empowering you. Verse 11, Paul's prayer said this, being strengthened with how much power? Some power? All power. All power according to whose might? His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, right? It's not yours, it's a supernatural strength. Man, God empowers you to do way more than you believe you can do. You just have to awaken to it. You just have to open your eyes to it. You know, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. 
mean, it's an incredible verse, maybe one of my favorite verses of all time. But if God has something for us to do, don't you think if he wants us to do those things, he will empower us to do them? You know, sometimes we get in front of situations and obstacles and think that we can't do them, but that's the perfect place to be. Because if you think you can't, that's okay because God wants to show his strength in that situation. Why? So that you rely on his strength. You rely on his power, not your own. So what's in front of you? What are some obstacles in front of you that you think you can't do that you feel like God is leading you into? Man, overcome those things. Realize that God is empowering you. Man, this is so good. Number five, God is encouraging you. He's encouraging you. Verse 12 says this, and giving joyful thanks. Everybody say joyful. Joyful. Giving joyful thanks to the Father. Man, in every circumstance, we can give joyful thanks to the Father because he is constantly encouraging us no matter the season we're in. I told you Paul was in prison. And if Paul can give joyful thanks in prison, you can give joyful thanks in your problems. Man, God is constantly wanting to encourage you if you would allow him room to speak, if you would be still and listen. He's encouraging you. Number six is this, God has qualified you. Man, I love verse 12 in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Man, we get to share in an inheritance, right? An inheritance comes about when someone dies. Well, Jesus dies and we get to share in the inheritance. What is the inheritance? I'm gonna tell you right now that I believe that the inheritance is simply freedom. Man, it's freedom to have a clear conscience. Man, it's freedom to live confidently. Man, it's freedom to know that, man, what we do uh, uh, in our behavior doesn't dictate our righteousness. Man, it's based on our belief in him and what he accomplished on our behalf on the cross. It's why when you walked in this morning in our lobby, there was that huge mirror, right? This is the inheritance that you get to share in with Christ, Because as you look at yourself, you don't have to say, well, well, woe is me. Well, man, I wonder if I did enough good things today where God would love me. Oh, well, I didn't really, you know, live up to what I felt like I should have done today. Man, God loves me not. We don't have to live like that. Man, we get to share in this incredible inheritance where we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can say, man, I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm valued. I'm a masterpiece. Not by anything that I have done, but by everything that he has done on my behalf. Man, we are made righteous through Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That all, all that means, righteousness, man, is this, this right standing. Man, there's no separation between you and God. No separation. Man, God's with you. His presence is with you. We can be encouraged that we have this incredible inheritance. Seventh thing, and I'm gonna get the worship team to come join me because we're gonna go out of here celebrating all these truths about our life as believers and followers of Christ. So man, God is teaching you, he's walking with you, he's growing you, he's empowering you, he's encouraging you. He has qualified you. And then the last thing here, he has delivered you. Man, I don't know if you caught it when we read through it, verse 13 and 14, oh my goodness. Man, you need to go home and just, Read this over yourself this week. It's so good. Verse 13 says this, for he has rescued us. Man, you are rescued. 
but rescued from what? From the dominion of darkness. You know, if you actually look up this word, dominion of darkness, in the Greek, it's actually this phrase that comes from this moral authority based on or that stems from Judaism. So what moral authority stems from Judaism? The law. You see, God rescued us from having to become righteous based on our observation of the 613 laws in the old covenant. Man, it says he rescued us from that and brought us into the kingdom. Basically, that word there is transferred. Man, I love that. Man, you just transfer. You are translated from that. Nope, the old covenant's done away with. Now we walk in a new covenant. It's not all about following all these rules and regulations. Now it's about just a relationship with Jesus. It says where we get to come into the kingdom of what? Light. Man, I shared with you earlier, man, if film is exposed to light, what happens? It might, you might think it ruins the image, but all you see is light. Well, in our life, guess what? When he transfers us into the kingdom of light, if we, if we think about it like the film process, man, guess what? It's not, it's not us that we see. It's simply light that we see, and it's the light of Jesus. Well, we get to hide in that light. Man, well, what's exposed in us is him. Man, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of light. In verse 14, I love this. If we can get that pulled up, it says this. It says, in whom we have redemption. Man, not only are we qualified, not only are we rescued, but we are also redeemed. Meaning God has repurchased us. He has bought us back, right? We are bought with a price. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Now they are forgiven, right? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It's a release of bondage. It's like releasing a prisoner. And this idea of redemption, actually, I, I want to read this because I thought this was so cool when I looked it up. It says, redemption or being redeemed, this word emphasizes distance from the rescued person from what previously enslaved them. It emphasizes distance. Man, think about it. Way over here, according to the law, and because if we just broke one of them, we, we, we were unrighteous. Man, if you go on that system, right, we're, we're not anything. We can't live up to it. But man, this says the distance from what used to enslave them, man, now we are set free. But I'm telling you, this chasm between us is bigger than you think it is. As a matter of fact, God says he will remember your sins no more. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are made, they are washed white as snow, man. You, I'm telling you guys, this is good news. He's, he's not only qualified you and rescued you, man, he's redeemed you and you are forgiven. We're forgiven people. Man, these seven truths, man, we just need to get these in our heart. We need to get these in our spirit. And if we do, if we kind of align ourselves to what Paul's prayer is to that church and we get, begin to apply it to our life, we can, we can continue to live free. It's freedom, confidence in who we are as a son and a daughter of the King. Would you just stand with me? Man, we're, we're just gonna sing who you say I am once more time. And as we sing, I just want you to be encouraged today in who you are and what God is speaking over your life. 
man, that he is teaching you that you can ask for wisdom. That you don't have to be in a situation where, man, I really don't know what to do. No, you don't have to get there. You can say, okay, God, what, what, what is it you want to show me? What is it you want to teach me? Who do I need to seek godly counsel to? And you can be in a position where God is continually speaking over you that he wants to empower you for what's in front of you. All right, God, I don't really know if I have the strength, but thank God that you do. And I'm gonna rely on that strength here today. Man, we're gonna be all that he says that we are, man, that we are qualified. We're qualified. Man, will you quit disqualifying yourself? I told you earlier, that's the word I felt like the spirit was speaking today. Man, the pity party is over. Man, stop disqualifying what God wants to do in your life. You are qualified to do everything God has for you. Man, you are redeemed, you are loved, you are valued, you are accepted. Can we just begin to even believe that even more today?